All right, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. This is part 4 of our Ephesians series. We're finishing chapter 2 today. Spoiler alert, next week we're going to get into chapter 3. Giving you some background, of course, already on Ephesians. You know, Ephesians are people who live in the city of Ephesus. We know these are Gentiles. These are not Jews. These are people who have been grafted in. The tree was already there, but this is a branch who's been brought from another tree, brought on, connected to, and now receiving the life of Christ. But we're getting more teaching on that today. We've heard the gospel preached. We heard Paul's encouragement to them. I, I love you guys. I think about you guys. I pray for you guys. I pray that you would see what's already been done. I don't pray that something new would happen. God, please do something for these people. Please do something in the future. No, I'm praying that you would see what's already done. That's the biggest challenge you guys are running into. You need a revelation to understand what's taking place. Here's how I pray for you. And then he walks us through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, where we rejoice in the explicit gospel being laid out. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy... And then the whole turnaround, the whole substitution. By the way, you're not just saved from hell. You're actually elevated to sit beside God. It's not a minor thing. It's not a, you're not in trouble anymore, but you're in a neutral place. No, you're not in a neutral place. You're not in trouble. You're elevated to receive sonship. It's incredible. And now we pick up here in verse 11 where we continue. Let's read. Therefore, so what's the therefore connected to? He's saying because of all this, because... Of what God has done, we are God's workmanship, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. We weren't created uh, by our own good works, but sure, in Christ we're going to have good works to do. God prepared these things for us to do ahead of time. So because of that, therefore, verse 11 now, remember that at one time, he takes them right back to where they were at the beginning of chapter 2. He's going back and forth. You were here, but God did this, and now he's going back. You were here again. Remember that at one time... You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now there is another but but now In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. What are the two men he's talking about? The Jewish people. And then us, everybody else, the Jewish people, assuming here no one has Jewish lineage, actual bloodline, Jewish descent. If you do, you would have been considered part of the, the Jewish, uh, the Jewish people he was describing who also actually need the blood of Christ to rescue them. But he's saying he's taken the two and so making peace, verse 16, and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore, thereby killing the hostility And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near, referencing the Jews. Verse 18, 
For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and your promise. We pray that you would bring us revelation and that you would bring us the joy that accompanies it, that we would rejoice over your word today more than we rejoice over great riches, more than we rejoice over all any good thing that would happen. We're thankful for all of your blessings and all the goodness in your life, but we ask that you would open our eyes this morning, that we would recognize that the greatest goodness in our life is right in front of our faces this morning. The work that you've accomplished in Christ, the miracle that's taken place in our hearts. God, where there's been boredom with it, where there's been an attitude that's, that's grown accustomed to it, revive in us a great gratitude, revive in us a great joy and a great thrill to see what you've accomplished and the great love that you have for us. We love you. We love your word. Show us what obedience would look like to it today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Jews and Gentiles, the two people group, the, the racism that existed 2,000 years ago. Newsflash, racism is not new to human history. It's a really old story. It's a really old thing. Um, racism is, is stupid. It has always been stupid because there is literally only one race of people. We literally all came from the same parents. Every single person who has ever lived came from Adam and Eve, and everyone else is their descendants. So there is only one race of people. We have different features. We have different attributes. As time passed on, there became more differences. And then as people groups spent more time together, those differences began to become the, uh, I, the main identifier. So you've got these people with more pigmentation in their skin. For whatever reason, there was just some genetic things happening there. And they began to, to build families together over time. And they were in a part of the world where they built. And then you've got people with less pigmentation. You have more people with these features. This is how we have the, the variety that we have today. But it is very distinctly one race of people. So racism, though, has always been a problem. Racism has always been an issue. Specifically, the Jews, um, they, they held themselves in high esteem because of their race. But more than that, they held themselves in high esteem because they, they were the chosen people of God. God did set them apart. But the purpose of God setting them apart was to say, hey, I want you to be the missionary to the world. I want you to show the world what it looks like to be my people. He describes them. He says, he says, Christ makes peace and brings near those who are far off and those who are already near. The Jews are supposed to be near. When the Messiah showed up, the Jews are supposed to go, aha, finally, there he is. Because why? Well, because the whole scriptures are about Jesus. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus, according to Jesus himself. That's what he said. He said, all the scriptures, they point to me. So the Jews, when Jesus showed up, they're supposed to go, obviously, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. Now, of course, he came in such a way so as to hide himself from the prideful. Why? Because God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Why did he do all the things he did? Why? They were expecting more majesty. So why didn't he just do it? Because God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. This was part of his plan. This was his will. This was his way. So as the people of God were filled with pride for generations and generations, which led them into their own sin, and then 
even though they're supposed to be set apart, they would still follow the godless ways around them. They would still adopt other gods and other idols and other practices. And, but at the same time, think that they were still unique. Look at us, we're different, but you're not, and your behavior. All of this, though, was to always point to the greatest sacrifice who was to come. All the ordinances, all the law was pointing to Christ. And then finally, we come to the, mo- the moment when this was written, and Paul's writing about the Gentiles and the Jews, because the Gentiles understood that the Jews hated them, but it was okay, because the Gentiles hated the Jews as well, and, and this racism took place, and it's all fair enough. There was a lot of confusion in the church. We see in the book of Acts, where uh, once Gentiles start coming to Christ, the Jews are going, wait a second, is this allowed? Like, don't they need to be circumcised? Because you know, that was the sign that God gave to Abraham. So God comes to Abraham and says, hey, I want you to follow me. And you're the sign of circumcision, this is a, an outward sign. This is going to be a token, an emblem, a way to show like there will be some bloodshed and you're going to be committed, right? Imagine a grown man, a grown man. Like you really believe in your God, don't you? You better believe I do. Like that's, that's real commitment for a grown man to say, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to be circumcised to, to follow this religion. You're like, hmm. No thanks. No thanks. I'll go find another one that doesn't involve circumcision. Um, so obviously, Abraham believed in what he was doing. So this sign is taking place for all Jews. But now they're going, wait, do Gentiles need to be circumcised? Because that was a token. That was a symbol of the covenant. And they're saying, no, there's a, there's a circumcision of the heart. That was the thing that points to the spiritual thing. It's what we have a lot of times in the Old Testament, in the law. We've got the old thing. That had a purpose, but it's always pointing to the better thing, the full thing, the completely revealed thing. So this is going on. The Gentiles understand this. And Paul is calling them. He says, you've been once called in verse 11. You've been called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So that was not a a term of endearment, as you can imagine. So the Jews were not, you know, they were not calling Gentiles the uncircumcision as, you know, it was like, like we would. Uh, think about David. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine when he's talking about Goliath? It's an insult. It was a slam. It was a dig against all of us dirty Gentiles. It's going like they're, they're unclean. They're not made right. They haven't obeyed God. They haven't done the things of God <clears throat> in the way that God wants it. So it's interesting how back in chap- at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul's going back and forth here. He said, you're dead in your sins, and then walks them back through. And he brought them to the pinnacle and said, what God has done and then he takes him back down again. Remember, man, I thought you were trying to encourage me. J- j- but don't forget. Don't forget. You once, you uncircumcision, but that was made by the flesh, by hands. Remember, you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is the, this is the state of everybody. In the whole wide world always. Even the descendants of Abraham. Even if you could trace your genealogy back to Abraham, which made you a Jew, by the way. That is what makes a person a Jew. If you can trace your genealogy back to Abraham, you're still without hope if you're without Christ. And this is interesting the way he puts it. He says, there, there were, you were without hope. You were without God. We have another word for that. It's called godless. That is what you and I were, not just because we're Gentiles, but most definitely, yes, because we're Gentiles. But this is the state of all people. And then, of course, verse 13, but he doesn't leave us hanging here. Now in Christ, you who were once far off 
So this is temple language. And we, we do want to understand because the Gentiles would have understood this temple language and what it meant. So the temple, the Jewish temple, God gave very, very, very specific instructions on how this thing had to be built, on how it had to be constructed. Very precise. The whole temple complex was very large, about 34 acres. But within the temple complex, there were different zones, and it would continue to shrink and to shrink and to shrink. Out here is where you could kind of look in from the outside. Out here, the, the Gentile court is where you and I would be permitted. We are permitted to go no farther. If we go any farther, we will be stoned to death. Um, they had a sign and an emblem above one of the, the gates that if you and I were to pass through it, and, and I can't quote it perfectly, but the point was any Gentile who passes through here has himself to blame for his incoming death. So um, you're allowed in this outer region, but you can't go any further. What's the next level? The next level is the court of the women. What's the next level? The next level is the court of Jewish men. What's the next level? The court of the priests. No one in the, in the previous zone can approach the next zone. And then within the court of the priests, after that, you have the Holy of Holies, the room where God dwells. You who are far off. So they understood this to mean temple language. They understood this to mean I'm held back. I'm held off. I can't get to the presence of God. Who designed this? God did. God designed all of this. This wasn't a mistake. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't just Jews being mean. This was the Lord's instruction. What is he doing? He's showing that people can't come close unless they are purified. People can't come close unless there are steps, unless there are rituals. So that's the whole world was kept outside in the Gentile court. And then Jewish women could come closer. Jewish men could come closer. The priests could come closer, but only through the rites of purification. And all of these things pointed to Christ. If we were studying the, through these books in the Old Testament, we'd be able to look, that's how that points to Jesus. And this is how this points to Jesus because Jesus is the high priest. And he's the one who can bring everyone near because he sprinkles us all with his blood. That's the only thing that could bring anyone near was blood. Lots of bloodshed. Lots of animals had to get killed for people to keep going into the next level, to go deeper into the temple. So you who are far off using this temple language, these Gentiles, they'd be curious. They would want to get closer and closer and closer. If you're an ignorant Jewish, if you're an ignorant Gentile, you wouldn't understand all that. Maybe you'd be in the, if you had come in from far away, you said, how do I get in here? And they'd say, here's how you can come into this court. Okay. Oh man, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to be able to go in there. No, 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 no. You've got to be a Jewish woman. Oh man, I wish, I wish I was a Jewish woman so I could at least get closer to the presence of God. And then if you were that, that far, you say, I wish I was a Jewish man so I could get that much farther in. I, man, I, I wish I was a priest. Oh, you, you, you can't be a priest. You've got to be of the tribe of Levi. Man, another purity, another clarification, another set apartness. Man, if I, but, but if I was a priest in the tribe of Levi, I'd go into the Holy of Holies all day, every day, and just be with God. No, you wouldn't. You can only go into the Holy of Holies one day a year. And that's it. And only one priest, only the high priest, on one day out of the entire year. Man, there's so much there. There's so much holding us back. There's so much going on here. And then there's this, all the time, there's this curtain, this four to five inch thick curtain constructed to separate us from the presence of God. And if I go in at the wrong time, I'll be killed. God himself will kill me. Why? Because I've violated things. I'm unholy. I'm not worthy. And I haven't obeyed his command. But now, 
This is the significance of the Paul, of the emphasis that Paul's making here. But now you have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. All these levels, all these layers. Man, we were in the outer courts. Now where do we get to go? The court of the women? Well, that would be improvement. The court of the men? Well, that would be progress. The court of the priests? No, the high priest has sprinkled you with his blood. Jesus, the ultimate high priest, brought you near. Not just near, but he brought you all the way in. And that was the point he's making. You're seated with God. You guys used to think, you guys used to imagine what it might be like to go into the Holy of Holies, as did all Jewish people. Everybody except the high priest who could go in. You haven't just been brought near, you've been brought into God's household. And this is what happened when Jesus died on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51. This is the moment that Jesus gave up his life. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit because no one took his life from him. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. God deliberately and purposely takes his own curtain and says, and now my spirit is being poured out. This has been satisfied in my son who a mile over there up on the hill of Golgotha, he has finished the work. It's all been pointing to him and finally my spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh. I'm going to fill all people who will come near because I'm so pleased with my son and I love him for what he's done and I love his blood. That is finally the blood that's been shed and there needs, no, there be, needs to be no more sacrifices. There can be no more sacrifices. There can be no way to get any closer. I wish I could get closer to God. The blood of Jesus takes you all the way in to the very presence of the Father. You who are far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ and God himself creates that earthquake, disrupting the temple and saying, this is finished. This is fulfilled. It's completed by him. They're just thinking, what a a crazy day. All all the lies, all the deception that they told themselves as the Pharisees were crucifying Christ and God made blackness come over the earth and then the earthquake and the temple being torn in two. And they're going, what a wild wild occurrence here today as, as the Passover has just happened. And now the day of atonement has come. And, and now this guy's dying on a cross. What a, what a bunch of coincidences coming together. But of course, Jesus was pleasing and satisfying the wrath of God and satisfying the justice of God. But now in Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near. How? The only way that anybody ever could, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. No more two people groups, no more Jew and Gentile. It tells us in Galatians, there's no male nor female, nor Jew nor Gentile. Now that could certainly be taken out of context in our modern moment. Um, the, these are not, uh, this is not saying that male and female no longer exist. He's saying that there is no limitation in how they can approach the Father. Everyone has equal access to God the Father Almighty. Full and complete access as a son, meaning all the privileges of King Jesus. Every single believer who puts their faith in him gets treated like him. Verse 15, how did he do all this? By abolishing the law of commandments, or another way we would say that is by fulfilling them, by satisfying them. All the law, all the commandments, never perfectly fulfilled, never satisfied. But now finally, here lived and died a man who actually fulfilled the law perfectly. 
every single ordinance, and most importantly, in his heart at all times. Not just the outward expression that the law contained and that the law managed and that the law controlled, but inwardly. Finally, here lived and died a man who was perfectly satisfying. So in that, he abolished the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So we're not just two enemies who lay down our weapons. Hey, hey, let's make peace. That's not what's taking place at all. We're, we're two enemies who become one family. We're not two different sides who say, all right, we'll get along now. I don't pick on you and you don't pick on me. We're two enemies who join and say, we're on the same side. And that can only be accomplished in Christ. This is the only way that any kind of ultimate peace can come to any people group in the, in the earth. This is the unity that is brought to the people of God. No matter the age, no matter the skin color, no matter your vaccination status, no matter your football team, there's plenty of things that people divide over, but everyone can be unified in Christ. Now, the distinction there is in Christ. Well, what if I believe this? Well, that can't come into Christ, potentially, depending on what that thing is. Like that, that, you, that, you can't have that in Christ. But in Christ, there is, there's still plenty of freedoms. There's still plenty of opportunities. There's still things that uh, we can allow for. Like, I can allow for Darren to be a Bills fan. Like, it's, I can permit it. And we can still have unity, even though he's a Yankee trader. The Lord will forgive him. And I'm working on it. No, there's, there's, plenty of, there's plenty of nonsensical things and smaller things. And there, there's real pressures and there's real oppression that happens in the earth. But ultimate, ultimate justice, social justice will not be accomplished. Why? Because it is an absolute impossibility outside of Christ. Yeah. Can't we all just get along? No! Of course not! That's so naive. We're literally at war. Can't we all just get along? How would it be possible? On what foundation would we get along by? You, the, the one that you pick? I can't stand on that. Can't we get along? We can, we can have some, uh, certainly from the church, you can experience all the fruit of the Spirit. You should expect the fruits of the Spirit from Jesus' church. But will we get along in the sense that you mean get along, which is basically, can we agree on everything? Absolutely not. We're at war. And as we, as we read, there are those who are following the prince and power of the air in the course of this world. Can we be, have unity with that? Absolutely not. But in Christ, unity has already been accomplished. So when you come into Christ, you have more in common. I have more in common with the woman in a mud hut somewhere in India than I do with a 38-year-old white man in the United States who has a wife and children who doesn't love and follow King Jesus. I have more in common with her. She's my sister, and we have an absolute unity. We may not speak the same language. We may not have anything else in common, but you put me and her together singing Amazing Grace, it's going to be good. You put me and him together, I'll be kind, I'll be warm. There's, I don't not love him, but there's not a unity there. How could there be? There can be some commonalities. He might be a Panthers fan. So I feel sorry for him this season as well. But, so there, there can be some things we can enjoy. But there's not this ultimate unity, and ultimately there is going to be a hostility. Why? Well, because we're of a different spirit, we're of a different kingdom. It's not a meanness, it's a reality. 
It's just the way it is. He's welcomed into the Father's house. I don't want to hold him off. I don't want to keep him away. I want to say, join me and my sister. He's like, I don't know if I have much in common with you guys. We're not, I'm not interested in whether or not we, we can check a bunch of boxes for you. What I'm talking to about is coming near to the Father. You're never going to have peace. You're never going to have satisfaction. There is no joy. There is no life outside of Christ. You're far from God. There's nothing worse than that. You're without hope in the world. You're godless. And that means everything else you ever do, everything else you ever pursue is going to be an attempt to bring you some satisfaction. It's going to be an attempt to mask what's really going on. It will be some picture of the gospel taking place in your life, but it will always just be a picture instead of the power. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is, it is the good news of King Jesus. So we have reconciliation with God and with people. And, and we don't need to acquire any other kind of reconciliation because Christ has accomplished it. Racial reconciliation gets talked about a lot. For the last couple of years, we've been talking a lot about racial reconciliation, not us as a church, but in our culture at large. Man, we've got we, we to bring reconciliation. Reconciliation exists in Christ. It exists. Just like what Paul prayed, I pray that you would see what is already there. Yeah. In the same way, we have all reconciliation in Christ. It doesn't mean that bad things haven't happened. It doesn't mean that people haven't sinned. It doesn't mean that things don't need to be rebuked. It doesn't mean any of that. But it means that in Christ is the only place we can find any kind of reconciliation. And the church of Jesus Christ understands that. And we can walk in that to say, Jesus has done the work. Christ has achieved it. Now we need to walk in it. So we live in a, in a moment where it's being talked a lot about publicly. Racial reconciliation is being talked about a lot publicly. If we lived in a different moment where there was more, uh, where there was more warfare between men and women, and they would say, we, we, need, we need gender reconciliation, I'd be saying, everything's reconciled in Christ. If we lived in a time where there was more warfare between the ages, we need ageist reconciliation. I'd say, all is reconciled in Christ. But if you're always trying to get people, just come to the table. If we could just get everybody to come to the table. Well, there is a table we need to come to. It's the table with the body and the table with the blood. That's the table where everything is reconciled. Oh, you think Jesus is just going to make everything better? Yes! Yes! Now you got it. That's it. You think Jesus just fixes everything. Now, now you're talking. Now you're speaking my language. That's exactly the truth. No, 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 it's, it's deeper than that. If you understood how deep the pain, because when I was a child, you know, the girls made fun of me because I was a boy, so I've always hated girls. Or the old people were mean to me because they were old and I was young. Or the, or the, the people with this skin color said this to me because I had that skin color. Man, I'm so sorry. That sounded hurtful. That sounded mean. That sounded bad. Like, I'm sorry they treated you that way. That's sinful and unacceptable. You should forgive them. No, you didn't hear the depth of the wounding. I, first of all, I guarantee you, I don't understand the depth of the pain that you felt. I never could, never have, never will. And I'm so sorry for it. Yet in Christ, you have the power to forgive. And you're commanded to forgive. Because you've been forgiven for way more debt than has been brought against you. And with that revelation, you can give freely. And in Christ, you can forgive others as God forgives you. Now, I don't think you really get it. You need, to under, you need to hear my story. You need to hear his story. He needs to be bigger. 
He needs to be bigger than your experience. Spoken like someone who's never experienced it. No, I'm speaking for the one who experienced everything, though, who experienced all of it. Because I know what I've done to him. So the, the people who you hate, the people who you're mad at, the people who you think are your enemies, I guarantee you, I've been way worse to Jesus than they've been to you. I'm certain of it. And anything you think about me right now, whatever, however bad you think I am, I assure you I'm worse. But none of that's reconciled by me trying to pay back or achieve or jump through any amount of hoops you may have. My only way out, my only path forward for freedom is bending my knee to Jesus and being cleansed by his blood. This is what can reconcile you and I. Us coming to the cross together as sinners and saying, I love you and I'm thankful that Jesus has done this for us. That's our moment. That's our reconciliation. Yes, I'll repent of my sin, of my sin that I can see and identify from the word of God. Not just cultural accusations, but from, of the sins that I've committed I will bring those to the cross and I will come with you and I'll say we are both reconciled to Christ. And this, this brings us unity. This makes us children in the Father's house instead of this global perspective that just says, we all just need to get along. Well, I'm not opposed to getting along, that's for sure. But I just know it's going to be impossible until we yield to the king who reigns over this entire kingdom. The blood of Christ is the only thing that satisfies the wrath and the justice of God. This, so we're in verse 13 now. But now in Christ, you who were once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. The simple reminder again, Jesus is very exclusive. Well, I think there's many ways to God, right? But there aren't. There's only one way because nothing else satisfies God's wrath. Nothing else can please God. Nothing else is good enough for him. Well, I've done a lot of good things. Yeah, but it's filthy rags. God says, nothing you do is ever going to be enough. And it's interesting at Halloween, you always see the, the bloodshed. You see the, the gross. You see the grotesque kind of things that, that people will display. I took the family. We went to Bush Gardens on Friday, and they're having their hallow scream right now. And we, we took them during the daytime. And they had like some of the stuff they attempted to cover it up, but they didn't succeed. Um, so there's severed limbs and severed heads and, like, you know, super cool stuff. Um, I always mock it and I always make fun of it. But I understand to a degree what's going on. The world knows that there has to be bloodshed. They just don't know whose blood needed to be shed. The world embraces this idea of horror. They embrace this taste of hell because it's a way that they can manage it. It's a way that you can actually get a taste. You can go into that horror movie you can experience death, wrath, terror, and you get resurrection when you walk out of the theater. It's a glimpse of, of not experiencing the wrath of God. They're fascinated and strangely comforted by grotesque things because they know somebody has to be sacrificed, and they're right. A human being has to be beaten to death and bleed to death savagely. It, the, Christianity is not my sweet cross necklace. Christianity is Jesus' pierced yes. hands. It's flesh being ripped open off of a man's back. It's a beard being ripped out of a face. It's a man being spit upon. It's a crown of thorns being shoved into a scalp. Like we live in, the, the West is very sanitary. And I think that's a blessing in a lot of ways because it's unpleasant to see the human body torn and ripped and broken and beaten. The human body is built and made in the image of God. So to see the human body suffer, that's why we have that reflex, that reaction. Yeah, that's why you, mm, somebody gets hurt, ah, 
It's hard to look at. Somebody's ankle turns the wrong way. It's hard to look at. Why? Because that's an image bearer of God. Something's wrong. Something's broken. But at this time of year, ooh, ooh, it's fascinating. Ooh, the sacrifice. Ooh, the bloodshed. They just don't know who. They know that there has to be blood shed. It's funny, as we're walking through the parks, I'm seeing all the blood shed, and there's like, you know, they got blood everywhere. Blood. Ooh, look at the blood. And everything's bloody. It's, all, it's so cool. So as we're walking, you know, there's that bridge. And then at Christmas Town, which they're preparing for, I look across the water. Peace on earth. <laughs> they're giant, you know, so they're, they're starting to get ready for Christmas Town. So over here, it's like, murder, haunted houses. And then it's like, they're not wrong. The bloodshed leads to peace on earth. But it's not ours, thank God. And it doesn't have to be theirs, thank God. So they embrace peace on earth. Bush Gardens at Christmas Town is absolutely beautiful. It is beautiful. They got beautiful music. I mean, it is a beautiful place. And I'm like, you know what? I like it. Jesus is king. Like, let the world rejoice whether or not they know what they're doing or they don't know what they're doing. I'm like, hey, right now, they're for us. So... I'm cheering it on and I'm celebrating. Of course, as we walk through the park, as we walk through the creepy sections, we, we recited the 23rd Psalm. Didn't we, Sugi? Yeah. So as all this bloody, gross arms and legs and hands and dangling, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, <laughs> I will fear no evil. Amen. So we're not afraid of these things as believers, mm-hmm. but we want to understand them. And it gives us compassion for the world. Ooh, can I get close? But I don't want to taste it yet. You're going to taste it. And you will, it'll be shoved down your throat for all eternity apart from the blood of Jesus. His blood was enough. You can be brought near to the Father through the confession of your sin and through your repentance. But the peace on earth only comes from King Jesus. He, is, he himself is our peace. Verse 14. He himself is our peace who made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How did he do it? He did it all through his blood. Now, we want there to be peace without blood. There cannot be peace without blood. I just wish it would all suffer. No, there had to be bloodshed. But thankfully, God is good. He loves people. He loves humanity. So he said, it'll be my own. Yes. I'll shed the blood. And in doing so, I'll bring everyone near for whoever will, for whoever will, for whoever will come. So the blood of Christ is needed for everyone. The Jews needed the blood of the Lamb just as well as us Gentiles. He starts off in verse 12 exclusively talking about what the Gentiles lacked, but he finishes up in the whole portion talking about what everybody, both the Jew and the Gentile, received. And outside of Christ, all this is impossible. But Jesus is our peace. He ends hostility between people groups. He is the solution. Nothing else brings anyone closer to God. No philosophy, no other message ends the hostility. There is real conflict, but Jesus makes one new man. So our unity with Christians far surpasses any connection we have with those outside of Christ. And then let's finish in verse 19 through, through 22. I'll read it again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Talking to us Gentiles, looking in. Ooh, man, it would be so nice if I could have been a part. Well, there's a way in, but we're going to make it difficult for you. (laughs) But you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And then he gets closer. So he's talking citizens like of the nation of God, but then he goes even closer. He says, and members of the household of God. And then he gets even closer. He says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple for the Lord. In him, in him, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the cornerstone, when they were building something, the cornerstone was the the first stone, massive, 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 massive stone set, but it had to be precisely set because every other stone on the building was going to be calibrated off this one. This is the one that tells us what's straight. This is the one that tells us what's crooked. If something's off, he needs, he, he's out of alignment with the cornerstone. This is the picture for you and I. Christ is the cornerstone. If John Michael's stone's out of place, the cornerstone didn't move. John Michael needs to get back into place. If John Michael has shifted over, John Michael needs to shift his butt back over to match where the cornerstone is. So this is what Christ is doing. He's, he's established himself and then the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They are stones that were placed as an establishment for the body of Christ. So we don't honor them maybe in the same way as like Catholics would and say, you know, we we separate them and give them a certain kind of sainthood. Although they do have a unique role in that they were the 12 apostles of the Lamb. No other believer will, will hold that station in heaven. That was a unique place. It was a unique office. It's a gift from God and we rejoice for that. So he builds his foundation on Christ. And then the teaching of the apostles and their lives and then our lives are to continue to build up. This is the temple of God. This is the point that he's making. Hey, guys, you thought the temple was a big. Yeah, we've heard about the temple. We always wanted to go. And he's going, the temple's destroyed. It's going to be destroyed again. The Jews are going to rebuild it. Like the temple's finished. God ripped it himself. The temple's finished. There's a temple now. It's another temple. They're They're all bragging about circumcision. God has done a circumcision of your heart. They're, all, they're excited about the temple. You are the temple of God. This has been done by God. This is the context of what we're seeing here. This is what he's explaining to these people. What Christ has accomplished for them and for us. We take for granted a lot of times that the Bible is written to us. We don't necessarily always appreciate the, the Jewishness of the Bible. And a lot of times we're like, yeah, of course. Like, Jesus was American, right? Like, I thought he was from, like, I thought he, wasn't he from, like, Guinea or something? I don't know. I heard. But no, we're, we're the outsiders, but not anymore. So we've oftentimes only heard the perspective of we brought, we've been brought in, but there was a lot of work to get us there. And Jesus paid it all. Jesus accomplished it all. Let this refresh. Let this encourage. Let this fill your heart with more affection and remember that we are outsiders. To the Jew, I would preach... Consider, consider the grace of God. Like you didn't, you didn't get to be a part of Abraham for anything that you did. You, you were brought near, but you still have to be brought in by Jesus' blood. There is no other pathway. But since I'm preaching to Gentiles today, I'm saying, let it be another humbling moment for you where you're going, God has rescued me. It's the same message over and over and over again. We're not gonna outgrow the gospel. We're not gonna get past it. We're not gonna mature above it. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And this is the reminder and the renewal that we constantly need. And this is what has turned us into the household of God. That's exactly what we are. Oh, it's kind of like we're the temple? No, we are. The holy of holies. The room that we used to go into, God says, you're not gonna come into this room anymore. I'm gonna come into you because Jesus has made a new man. God, thank you for making us in Christ. And thank you for bringing Christ into us. He is the hope of glory. Holy Spirit, we thank you for filling us with your presence, with your power, with your love. We were far off, but we were brought near. There was nothing we could do to enter and to get any closer. 
The whole world is helplessly lost. And we were exactly like that. So as we look at the world, God, fill our eyes, fill our hearts, fill our minds with compassion. When we look at those who are our enemies, fill us with love for our enemies. You didn't say we wouldn't have enemies. You told us to love our enemies. So fill us with a love for them and a compassion for them that reminds us that they're far off. They're in those far off courts. Maybe they're wondering, maybe they're curious, but their pride keeps them from from speaking up. God, help us to go out into this harvest to accomplish your work and to bring the harvest into the Father's house where they will be celebrating, where we will kill the fatted calf, where we'll put a ring on their hand and sandals on their feet and rejoice because those who were lost have been found, those who are dead are alive, but it can only be accomplished through Jesus' blood, not through the philosophies of man. It can only be done. We can only become one united people of this earth if we build on the cornerstone. There is no other structure that your church is willing to build on. As a stone, as an individual stone, I'm unwilling to go lay on top of any other stone other than King Jesus. And I know these saints would say the same. So help us, God, to be aggressive as we go out, to be hungry and thirsty, to see people restored, renewed, refreshed, and built on the cornerstone. Especially in this moment, God, as, as Satan would look to fill people's hearts with fear, as people draw near to darkness at Halloween in some ways, as they embrace the grotesque and the bloodshed. Lord, we pray that the blood of Jesus will be magnified and glorified in the earth, that people would be saved by it, not terrified of it, but be brought near because your wrath was satisfied. We love you. We drink the cup of provision and blessing that Jesus has given us, and we thank you for it all in Jesus' name. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen.